This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to Habs Culture, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Habs Culture and on Twitter at Habs underscore culture to stay on track with news and updates. Episode 75 of the Habs Culture podcast. My name is Justin Schwartz and I am literally alongside my good friend Liam Baum today. Um, we have made it work. We have made a podcast in person works. This is probably the first time in, I'd say, uh, at least a couple months. Yeah. So four or five months. Even. Yeah. Even, even at that since the summer. So we're happy to, to be able to do this in person and, you know, maybe we'll make for some good, uh, heated exchanges, heated debates today. Um, but with that being said, there honestly hasn't been much to be upset about as a Habs fan, even though on the week they won one and three. Now, not to brag or anything, but I think I went perfect in terms of my record predictions. Uh, the Habs went one and three, lost the two games on the weekend, then followed that up with a win, a strong win against the Anaheim Ducks, and then lost last night on Thursday night against the Rangers at MSG by a score of seven to four. Um, but I'll give Liam some credit. <laughs> on the last episode, he predicted that the Montreal Canadiens first line would put up 18 combined points. And he was wrong, but for all the right reasons, as they put up 19 points. So Liam, that prediction was spot on. I give you a little bit of slack because I thought it was a little bit outlandish, <laughs> but how are we feeling after a correct prediction? <laughs> Honestly, both of us did really well. You said Slavkovsky would have a goal per game and he was one off, but you know the prediction predictions went really well. I think I got the record right, one and three as well. But oh, sorry, I didn't give you credit for that. I said uh, they would beat the Blues, and you ended up being, in fact, correct that it was not a good weekend for the kids. <laughs> Two losses in Montreal. But, you know, the predictions, we've been doing not too bad. Even when they're hot predictions, they've been pretty good. So can't be, can't be mad about those. Yeah, and, and like I mentioned before, I don't think we can be very mad with the way that things are going for the Canadians. Because from a, let's call it an outsider perspective here, they're still bottom of the league. They rank 25th right now. So they're seven, uh, seven spots out of last place. Now, it doesn't look like they'll finish bottom three, but as Canadians fans who want to see them pick at a good spot in the draft, preferably top five, I think, we can, I think we're still in a position where they can end up uh, picking in the top five uh, with the way that they're playing. But also you have a lot of promise coming out of guys like Nick Suzuki, out of guys like Cole Caulfield, and out of guys like Uri Slavkovsky. And last game we talked about it. Uh, sorry, last episode we talked about it. And that was coming off a really, really strong game for Uri Slavkovsky where he had scored two goals in the third period against the Washington Capitals. Fast forward. And I'm going to let you take it over here because I don't know the exact stats and points. I don't know if you have that up for us. But what have Slavkovsky's point totals been in the last four games, Liam? Well, like you said, against the... Which team did you just say? You just said the Washington Capitals. He scored the two goals. Then against the Rain, uh, sorry, the Ducks. He put up uh, a goal and two assists. And then against the Rangers, a goal and an assist. So he's been really strong recently. 
on the week or the last four games since we last talked, that first line absolutely tearing it up. Uri Slavkowski leading the way. Three goals, four assists with seven points. Suzuki right there with him. Seven points as well. And Cole Caulfield up there with five. So combined 19 points on the week. All looking very, very good. We posted on Twitter, TikTok. You can see it all over the socials. You know, we've been covering Slavkovsky's progress the last, you know, little few stints, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 games. And he's up to, I believe it was 22 in the last 21, which is, you know, the over the, the overall big stat that, that that's very promising to see. He's been looking really, really strong. Um, yeah, again, that, that first line is just, they're cooking. Even the power play, super exciting to watch finally. As a Habs fan, very, very exciting to watch a power play that's finally doing something. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but the games on the weekend against Dallas, he did score a goal there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he picked up an assist or not, but nonetheless, he got a goal there. And then the game against the Blues on the Sunday, he picked up two power play assists. So, and, and a goal, and a goal. Um, I, again, I don't know if you mentioned that or not. Sorry, I wasn't, I, I didn't hear, but uh, nonetheless, there's a lot of points going around for your Slavkovsky. That's, that's what we're trying to get at here. And I think we've been pretty consistent in staying, you know, grounded in terms of not jumping the gun on his progression. And I know, you know, we've made some comments before about how it's a little bit concerning and we've been a little bit concerned, like near the beginning of the year when we weren't seeing any progress at all, um, and I even said, I think that, you know, Leo Carlson is better than Uri Slavkovsky. And I mean, I'm not saying that I take that back, but it might've been a little bit premature at the time. Uh, but nonetheless, things have really picked up for Uri Slavkovsky. The Uri Slavkovsky haters could stay behind their screens on Twitter because at this point in time, he's proving them all wrong. We're up to 29 points in 54 games, Liam. 29 points in 54 games. Correct me if I'm wrong, but now we were, we were well above half a point per game for your Slavkovsky. Yeah, I know. We've been saying this for a while, and I don't even want to look at those first, whatever, 29, 30 games because he only had seven points in them. I like to look at, you know, how he finishes the season, the second half of the year, or even the last three quarters of the season, how it's been going. And yeah, he's well over that point per game if we're just looking at that time period. But overall season, yeah, over point per game. Like we said, if he's able to keep up that pace or more, it's going to be very, very exciting to see. And you know, we got a little few graphics coming out comparing Slavkovsky's point totals versus some NHL stars. So be on the lookout for that one. And, you know, it's nothing out of the ordinary. You know, they start slow, the players progress, develop, and they become these top players in the league. So nothing to be worried about if he's not, you know, that point per game player on the overall season. But, you know, we're going to see it keep coming. Absolutely. Um, taking a look around the league, Liam, we're looking at, a very strong finish from a bunch of teams here at the top. Um, Vancouver Canucks are at 80 points in 55 games at the top of the NHL, followed by the hockey hockey state of the world, the Florida Panthers, um, with 74 points in 54 games, um, and then followed by Dallas. So you got all these well, a couple American teams up there who are not notable necessary, who are not known for, for, you know, producing good hockey teams, but they're playing some really, really good hockey as of late. And Vancouver, I think a lot of Canadian uh, fans, Canadian as in the nation, are very excited to see a Canadian team at the top. Um, so that's obviously interesting to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind, Liam, and 
you know what? I'm not going to say we counted him out. We didn't count him out. But how did Connor McDavid find himself third in scoring, third in total points, nine points behind McKinnon, 13 points behind Kucherov? And don't get me wrong, those are still some pretty large totals, but I feel like we were writing him off so quickly for the Art Ross at you know the midway point of the season. For sure. I mean, the six-point assist night definitely helps a lot, and he just has that ability to do that any on any given night. And I'm going to ask you, do you think he has a shot for the Art Ross? Do you think his odds should be, you know, almost even? I don't. I don't think he has a chance. I think, I think what Kucherov and McKinnon are doing and more specifically Kucherov right now, I just don't see a world where they realistically slow down. So as long as Kucherov continues to put up points, I don't see a world where McDavid outpaces him um, to outscore him or to, to, to get to 13 points and get even with him. Now, I'm not saying I'm counting him out completely, but I am saying that I don't see it happening. Um, what about you in that case? Honestly, I don't want to count him out at all because if he he's able to put up six points, I mean, the other guys like Kucherov and McKinnon are able to do that as well, but McDavid is just, he's like that. And I, I don't mean to, you know, put any or dampen the, the other two guys' names, but I just feel like they don't have the ability to do that as consistently as McDavid can. So from a betting standpoint, you know, never, never take our advice for bets because, you know, we're very on and off. But if I'm looking at that value right now, I'm sure it's greater than even odds, but I'm taking that because McDavid is just like that. If we're going back to the COVID season when he played 56 games and put up 105 points, that second half of the season was absolutely unreal. He was putting up, or average obviously over the season he was averaging two points per game, but in that second half of the season, it almost felt like he was getting three points every night. And not saying again, Kucherov and McKinnon can't do that, but McDavid is just he has that capability. He's a step higher than McKinnon and Kucherov in terms of you know being that offensive producer. So I'm taking I'm taking McDavid as you know a potential art uh, art Ross winner this season. I like it again, like like we said. Never count him out because it's Connor McDavid and Connor McDavid does Connor McDavid things. Um, more news around the league. Yarmo Kekalainen is relieved of his duties as the Columbus Blue Jackets GM. So interesting there. I mean, was he the longest tenured GM at the time? It was 11 years. Yeah, 11 seasons for Yarmo Kekalainen. I'm not exactly sure if he was the, oh, yes, the longest tenured general manager in the franchise's history. Okay. I don't know about the rest of the league, but at least in the franchise's history. Um, and I think it's I think it's really interesting because I think that there were a lot of people um, that believed in Yarmo Kekalainen's moves. And I think that he's a very good, I was listening to the 32 Thoughts podcast. And one of the things that Elliot Friedman, you know, harped on was the fact that he was very, very good at finding talent. And I think that that's something that we've seen, whether it's with guys like Voronkov or whether it's guys like Marchenko or whether it's Bockfist, right? He kind of know, I know Bockfist wasn't drafted by Columbus, but it's about going out and acquiring those players too. So look, obviously things took a turn when they decided to go out and hire Mike Babcock as their head coach, never actually coached a game, was never actually behind the bench for them for a single regular season game because that situation spiraled um, in a certain direction. But nonetheless, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here because this franchise hasn't really ever had 
you know, much change, much change and not much success, not much successive success. Mm -hmm. So they haven't been able to do it consistently. And, you know, they had Panarin at one point, they had Duchesne as a rental. Um, they had Sergei Bobrovsky, which have all been very, very important parts to those respective teams. But now they're in a very, very, they're in a phase where they're very, very young. Adam Fantilli, Patrick Laine, Johnny Goudreau, their blue line, whether it's Zach Wierenski, Bogfist, Marchenko, I, I can I can name the whole team, but the, the, we, we can both agree that they're in a very sensitive state. So my question to you, Liam, is that where do you see them going from here on out? And what do you think the next GM's ideology or what do you think the next GM's, you know, this, this early decisions should be to turn this franchise around sooner rather than later? Listen, I think Yarmo was a good GM and he did well with what he had on his roster. But the problem was this team was moving in different directions and seemed like every other year. They went out and acquired Seth Jones, gave up a lot of you know future assets, picks, and whatnot, then have a really poor season, and it seems like they've got to rebuild. Or sorry, what am I saying? They didn't acquire Seth Jones. They traded Seth Jones away for a lot Correct. of assets. So that means they were going into a rebuild, it seemed, with a very young decor with Wierenski at 24 years old, Bockvist, Peak. And again, they had Line, who was very young, and a bunch of other forwards like Ken Johnson coming in, and then obviously they draft Fantilli. But then a year later, after having that poor season, they decide we're not going to rebuild anymore, and we're going to go out and sign the biggest free agent fish, which was Johnny Goudreau. They hand out a ton of money to him. They go out and trade for uh Provorov and Severson to try and boost their decor and it just clearly didn't work out just the one problem was is like why were they trying to rebuild then all of a sudden retool it seemed like they missed out on that opportunity to rebuild two years ago and it's kind of screwed them over since so again I think Yarma was a good GM but at the same time he made a few big mistakes that really altered the direction of this franchise and Columbus was never known for being successful. They would have a couple. I, I know they had that one series win against the Penguins. They had that amazing team that beat Tampa with Duchesne Panarin. They went out and acquired Dezingle who was having a really, really good season at the time. But after that, like he really didn't have much success. And I know Columbus is a franchise where, you know, they get a lot of hate. It's not the best city in the world, not the best city in the NHL to play for. But I don't think he was ever really committed to the rebuild or ever really committed to the retool. So going back to your question, I think this new GM is going to take on this retool rather than a rebuild because they have a lot of guys in their system who are difference makers on both sides of the ice. So that's what I'd like to see from the new GM. There isn't a new GM yet, right? No. no. So whoever that may be, I don't really know who's on the market right now, but whoever that may be, I hope Columbus finds some success because they were a fun team to watch back in the day with all those guys like Nick Foligno and when they had that that Panarin and Bobrovsky run. So it's going to be interesting to see what the new GM does with, with the roster they have. And I'd like to see them succeed in a retool type of phase. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think the one important thing here is that this GM ensures that their young players, the current young players they have actually are exposed to proper, um, proper management, right? I mean, you look at guys like Ken Johnston, David Yurichek, even Voronkov, these guys have voiced their opinion in terms of their 
their displeasure with the way they've been utilized as young players in this league. And I think that for them, those players to get to that next level, you're really going to need to ensure that you don't, you don't, you, you don't, you don't mess up their development. And we've seen that in the Canadian system for, for a, a while now for the last 10 years with certain first round picks. And Ken Johnson was a very highly touted guy coming out of Michigan. And David Yurchek was a fifth overall pick in this league. Uh, fifth or fourth. Yeah, fifth. Fifth. But nonetheless, I mean, these are important picks that they need to hit on to ensure that they properly retool or rebuild. And if the, the next GM for this team is going to come in and try and rebuild, you really got to make sure that you have the foundation in place before you get going. Yeah. So, so you know, that's that's the first step. But we'll see. There were rumors that I think it was Darren Dreger or Pierre Lebrun on their respective podcast were talking about the fact that going out and, you know, giving a call to Jeff Gordon would be an ideal situation for them. A guy who's in um, a, a non-GM position with the Canadians and maybe looking to start something a little bit bigger, a bigger project in Columbus. But it was, the reports came out today that, um, Jeff Gordon was not interested in the position at this point in time and that he wanted to kind of finish what he started in Montreal. So nice to see the commitment there. There, Nice to see that he's not, you know, doesn't not going to just bail on, on this, on this, I guess we'll say middle of our, our rebuilding phase in Montreal. Yeah. Um, just to add in there, Boone Jenner was also, or a little article came out about Boone Jenner being asked if he wanted to stay in Columbus. And it sounds like he has no, no, aspirations to leave during the trade deadline so i'm excited to see how their trade deadline goes and what they're gonna move out because you gotta think they gotta switch something up right provorov severson any of those forwards you know we've always been talking about the line a trade obviously he's in the player assistance program right now so it doesn't look like he's gonna be going anywhere but they obviously need a shakeup, and i think this new gm is gonna take on that role and really try to bring this team back to where it should be with all the talent they have for sure. For sure. Um, other news around the league. Connor Bedard was seen back in action last night on Thursday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They took the loss. However, he did record a very nice assist. So that was nice to see. I guess my question to you here, Liam, because I think now it's time to have this conversation. Is it Connor Bedard's is it Connor Bedard's um, Calder Trophy to lose here? I think it still is. I feel like there's not much emphasis on point per game for the Calder Trophy race, but I'm pretty sure he's still leading in points, right? Amongst if rookies, we're able to yes. bring that up. Yeah, so Brock Faber has got to be my second. Considering Adam Fantilli's out for a while, Brock Faber has stepped up into a power play one role, top defenseman line minutes. And I just don't see anybody else competing against those two. Um, so I'm going to have to go with Bedard again. I really thought... You, know, you can't stop this guy from playing hockey. He's expected to be out eight weeks. This guy comes back in, what, five, six, even maybe? I think even You're less. never going to stop a guy like that. So I really thought the field would take it. I don't know who it would be, but I think it's back to the Bedard show. There's no chance he loses this one, just considering the pace he's on and... And just the skill he has, you can't stop this guy from scoring. He's on the worst team in the league, playing with fourth liners on the first line. He's still getting it done every night. So very cool to see him play against Sidney Crosby, too. It was almost like it was an edited picture. It's like the the past. Or, <laughs> yeah, the past and the future on the ice together. 
Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely fun to watch him play every single night. He's up to 34 points in 40 games, leading the rookie race, followed by Brock Faber with 33 points in 53 games. And that is the caveat there is that he is a defenseman, followed by Marco Rossi with 29 in 53, and then Luke Hughes with 27 in 53. And then, I mean, there's a bunch of names that are kind of all in that tier. Would have been interesting to see what, have, would, have, what would have happened if Fantilli was healthy all season. Um, or if Leo Carlson actually played, you know, more than just 34 games and the Ducks didn't um, load, ma- didn't load management yeah. him. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I think Bedard's realistically going to take it because now you've got 25-ish games, maybe even a little bit over that to kind of cement his place as the winner of the Calder Trophy. And on top of all that, I just think that Look, I don't I don't want to make like assumptions. I just think that it's like his name is written on that award right now. I mean, everybody thought that about McDavid too. I'll, I mean, obviously he missed half a season. But again, Crosby didn't win it either. I know he was against Ovechkin, but I feel like it really could go any way. No, I I know what you mean and I I I I, I know what you mean as well and I completely agree with you, but I don't think it's set in stone. If he were to miss a longer time, I don't think he wins it. No, I agree with you. I think that if realistically, let's say he misses the rest of the season or he comes back with seven games to 10 games, I think whoever is next in line is taking the award. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he played 40 games, he amassed 34 points, and now he's going to play another 25. So he's going to be up to 65 games. He's going to have missed basically 15 to 17 games. I just don't see a world where, where they say, where they can validate saying, hey, you missed a substantial amount of time to the point where we can't give you this award because 65 games is substantial enough to merit winning, especially with his point production, right? So yeah. so yeah, I think obviously it is contingent upon how much time he did miss and how much time he could have potentially missed. But now that he's back and it was almost a surprise that he's back in action, I don't think that there's a world where he actually doesn't win the award. Yeah, there's nobody competing with him, right? But so, Faber's season is very underrated. It is, as a defenseman especially. When was the last time a defenseman even won? I think it was maybe like Ekblad or Tyler Myers. Back in yeah, even at that, I mean, we might have to go even back to Nick Lidstrom. So. I'd be curious to know what the point race or the point totals were among those players and that they gave it to a defenseman that year. Maybe that's something we should look up. But yeah, look that up quickly. Yeah. Just another thing to add on some more news. This weekend's a stadium series. Did you know that? I no, I honestly, didn't know that. Didn't and it was funny that. because I was just scrolling through the score app and all of a sudden I see stadium series. Yeah. And I'm like, well, they there's do... another failed marketing opportunity exactly. for... The NHL every year it's you never know even everybody knows obviously when the winter classic is because it's on the same date but you know the heritage classic pops up out of nowhere literally never know stadium series obviously they had a cool uh uh jersey announcement but again I had no idea this the stadium series was going on because it's never marketed it's the devils versus the flyers and the islanders versus the rangers I guess those are some somewhat cool matchups well i think it's just the fact that they're both from they're both from new york yeah right so and then new jersey versus philly i guess there's a bit of a rivalry there um quick predictions i i got the rangers winning and then i got the devils winning devils are against who philly yeah give me the devils but give me the islanders there okay um i was gonna i was gonna make you guess here the last time a defenseman won the calder 
Memorial Trophy. And you know what? Let's make it a game. I'll give you three guesses but and one hint. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm going to go back. Let's see. I'll test my knowledge to see who won these awards. So I know Besser and Pedersen won at some point. Obviously, Panarin won. I believe Matthews won, if I'm correct, the Calder. He did, 2016-17. Yeah. Um, Kaprizov won it one year. Who was it last year? I don't even remember. Who last year was, was uh, Matty Beniers. Matty Beniers. And who was the year before that? Moritz Sider. Oh, so there's the answer. It's Moritz Sider. But... I would look. I mean, realistically, I it was it wasn't. Who I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. I completely that completely. Yeah, that wouldn't crossed have crossed my mind. It's funny because actually, I and you know and you know who it was before him? Who? Kale McCarr. Two years before. I didn't even know. So that. I guess I guess we're a little. Out, and then before that, it was Ekblad. So you were kind of okay. in that realm. And then before that, it was Tyler Myers back in uh, 09, uh, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. So four in the last. Uh, well. Here we go, 14, 14 years, yeah. give or take. So, look, I mean, do I, and I didn't see their, like, Kale McCarr, for example, when he won it in 20, uh, 2019, 2020, okay. 2020 had put up game. 50 points in 57 games. Yeah. So, when was there, the last time a goalie won it? I feel like it was Tim Thomas or something, or Ray Croft. That's the Bruins goalie who won it. You are incorrect on both those answers. I will give you, I legit have no idea. Was it Flurry or Di Pietro or something? It was right before Tyler Myers. So 2008? 8-9. Played for Columbus. Not for Was it Steve Mason? Steve Mason. What was his record? Um, Let's go check. How do they even warrant giving it to a, a goalie? It's so hard to... Okay, in 2008-9, Steve Mason played 61 games as a rookie. Steve Mason played 61 61 games, games in wow. 0809. He went 33 20 and 7 with a 2.29 goals against and a 916 save percentage. I think if Kochetkov was the number 1, I think he'd have a very good chance at winning the Calder. I mean maybe not cuz of Bedard, but I think he's the closest guy and maybe next year we see like Wallstead or Askarov win it if yeah. Saros is at the door. So I mean yeah, I mean maybe it's... Primo Primo, take the leap, take the leap. Um, but anyway, we're 25 minutes in here. I'm just going to take a moment here, Liam, to shout out our, our sponsors at DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Okay, and we're back. Liam, the one thing that we didn't talk about, to, and it was probably the news of this past weekend, was the Ridley-Greg empty net goal resulting in a Morgan Riley cross-check to the head. Now, Twitter has gone absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. If you're a Leafs fan, you're defending Morgan Riley. If you're a Sens fan, you're defending Ridley Gregg for his actions and going against the quote-unquote quote code. I think that there's a lot of, you know, tribalism here in terms of the way that 
<laughs> these guys are just defending their team and not not actually looking at the bigger picture and what actually happened in the situation itself. Yeah. There, I mean, there's obviously the hockey code there. You can't do that. But honestly, I had to turn my phone off for a day because every single tweet, every single Instagram post <laughs> was somebody giving their opinion. And everybody had a different... I mean, there's so many people on the same page as the Leafs side. But honestly, Ridley Gregg had it coming. This is something you can't do as a young player. And John Tortorella said it perfectly. I honestly loved his answer. He said, young players in this league have to understand their position they're not at the top of the hierarchy right now. They don't have much respect yet. They've got to earn their respect. And he said it was it's kind of a joke of a league right now because players can do basically whatever they want. And back in the day, you know, you'd be drinking out of a straw or eating out of a straw or whatever he said. One of the players said that. So I think Ridley Gregg had it coming. Obviously, you're never supposed to cross-check somebody in the face, but you can expect to take a clapper in the the slot on an empty net in a statement game against two rival or two rivals against each other and not expect a fight to start. So maybe Morgan Riley didn't mean to cross check him in the face. Personally, that five game suspension, you know, you can argue that he deserved more. He deserved less. I'm personally think he should have had a bit of a reduced suspension based on the other similar cases that have happened like David Perron and I, that was just one that came to my head. So personally, I'm on Morgan Riley's side of this argument, I guess. Ridley Gregg had it coming. Not supposed to cross-check somebody in the head. But again, he went against the hockey code. You're going to get beat up. There's going to be a fight. And Morgan Riley stepped up for his team. How many times have Leaf fans complained and and begged for a player on the Leafs to step up? And that was Morgan Riley in this place. So... I'm not going to say I'm for you know violence like that but Ridley Gregg had this one coming and I think Morgan Riley did the right thing in stepping up when basically the Leafs got embarrassed he he embarrassed the Leafs organization. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm like I'm impartial almost, but I will proceed to give my thoughts because at the end of the day there's a code Sure. Tortorella said it. A lot of hockey analysts said it. It's it's in existence. It's not it's not in material writing. It's not written out and you know spelled out for you. But it's there. It's it's there. Now I was watching this live. I don't know how this even happened. I had finished studying and I was like, let me just turn on the end of this game. And I just see that and my jaw literally dropped because I was like, there's no way he just did that. Now, in my opinion. Riley's reaction was definitely over the line. I think that there, I, I, I think a two hand to the to the back of the leg would have been better. You know, I mean, to go at his head with a cross check, cross check directly to his, you know, his jaw slash neck area was a little bit much. I know it's heat of the moment, right? Like we've all been there in hockey where you just feel like you just, you know, <laughs> that built up anger and 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 rage. It's just. You know, it just, I feel like that game had it all in terms of both fan bases kind of like, I don't know if you noticed this, Liam, but the, the entire arena, the entire complex was Leafs fans. It was a sea of blue. The I game mean, was like, in Ottawa, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, as a, as a sense fan, as a sense player, 
as a sense management group, I mean, like there's got to be some sort of like, let's ice this game and let's do it in style. Now there's a way of going about it. He could have just slid the puck into the net, called the game and, you know, just taken the fact that they won the game as a, as a bigger, you know, punch in the face, like, you know, a, a punch in the face of the Leafs. So here's my stance. I think that the way really Greg went about it wasn't the right way, but I don't think the way Morgan Riley went about it was the right way either. So I think that they're both in the wrong. Now, I think that to your point, Morgan Riley's suspension is a little bit hefty, but I think it might be fair for the way he went about it. But really, Greg, I think should not smarten up, but just be a little bit more careful that, you know, when you do something like that, you're going to have it coming. You're going to have it coming undoubtedly. So we'll leave it at that for now, I think. Yeah, I think. I think everyone can somewhat agree with our points and find their way either on our side or in between us. Um, you know, some more somewhat Habs correlated news. Sean Monahan has played his first five, I believe, games in Winnipeg, still searching for his first point. Unfortunately, the Jets have not been good recently and are slipping down the standings, but they'll obviously turn it around. Happy to see Sean Monahan is getting still a very big role in, on the team. Ken Hughes had some very nice words about Sean Monaghan saying he was an awesome player and a great guy to be around in the locker room. Taught the young guys a lot of stuff and obviously was very likable. And they had to make a big decision whether or not to keep him. And ultimately, they decided that this was the decision they went with. They got a good offer that they had to go through with. And like Ken Hughes mentioned on Pierre Lebrun's podcast and Ryan Rashog. You're always, I don't know how to put this, but you're always trying to make sure that you have that upper hand, right? When Elias Lindholm got traded, a lot of teams probably called the Canadians and their viewpoints changed. Like how much is he uh, being, how much is he worth? How much are, did Elias Lindholm get traded for? And they obviously got to make adjustments and make sure they're able to get the best return Although it might have not have been the best time, they have to make sure to get that piece out. And there's always an asset that they need to, or I guess if there's an expiring asset, they don't want to just let him walk out the door for free. They have to make that decision. And ultimately, that's how they went with Sean Monaghan. So unfortunately, the Habs couldn't keep a guy who's very developed. He's a well-developed hockey player and still very good. But they get that first-round pick out of him and ultimately get assets back for a guy whose contract was expiring. No, absolutely. I think it's something that they had to do. And I mean, we can debate all day about whether the timing was right or not. A lot of people are speculating that they moved him when they did because of the fact that Sean Monaghan, over the course of his career, has been relatively injury prone and the potential of him maybe suffering an, an injury, you know, within these next 10 to 20 games could be detrimental not only to the team, but to his trade value. So moving him for a first-round pick, especially when we talked about what they've received in the past for Sean Monaghan for acquiring him two off-seasons ago from Calgary, I think that that was an amazing move and from an asset management standpoint. And look, we can talk about it all day, but now the flexibility that the Canadians have with this pick, whether they want to use the pick, whether they want to trade it for a, an NHL-ready guy, or package it with a roster player to improve that top six or that top or that top uh, top pairing top two pairs. Um, and look, that's probably unlikely that they'll try and improve their decor considering the internal competition they have already. But we've talked about Zegris, we've talked about Line, and there's a few other names out there. Whether it's a guy like Marty Natchez, and I will hammer this point home for a second. 
I think this is an interesting topic of discussion and I want to hear what you have to say. And this will probably be one of the last topics we discuss because I feel, Liam, like this is going to be a lengthy discussion. <laughs> there is a lot of speculation that, and I know I'm going a little bit off topic here, but there's a lot of speculation that the Nashville Predators will, I won't say likely, but that they will move on from UC Saros. Now, they're doing that because I think that they're now continuously falling down the standings and are probably going to end up falling out of a playoff spot and kind of be in that, we're not bad enough to pick top five, but not good enough to make the playoffs and make a run, which is an unfortunate position because we've seen that with the Canadians for the past, you know, five to 10 years. If the Nashville Predators move off UC Saros, one of the players that Jeff Merrick and Elliot Freeman talked about um, that, that Barry Trotz could acquire in exchange for UC Saros, I don't know, maybe there would be picks added and whatnot, but is Marty Natchez. And they were talking about how Marty Natchez is an upcoming RFA. He hasn't really, he found his stride last year, but it seems like there's a disconnect between him and Rob Brindamore. He doesn't get a sufficient amount of playing time. He's a very talented player, but hasn't got it going completely. For one, do you think that that would be a fair move slash deal for both sides, considering the Carolina Hurricanes acquire that stud goalie that maybe brings them over the top in the playoffs? Whereas the Nashville Predators will acquire a young guy with, in my opinion, an insane amount of potential. And my second question is, is that if UC Saros doesn't get moved and if Marty Natchez doesn't get moved by the deadline, do you think that there is a potential avenue where the Canadians should explore potentially offer sheeting Marty Natchez this upcoming offseason? I know we don't see it a lot, but seriously. That would be the ultimate got you back for the $20 or whatever bonus that they took Kokanyemi for. But um, I think this is probably more of a win for the Carolina Hurricanes in this case. Personally, I think Saros is worth a bit more than Marty Natchez just because Saros is developed. Oh, that's that's un like that's undoubtable for yeah, sure. I don't think it would be a one-for-one. One. Saros is a Vezina caliber goalie and exactly what the Hurricanes need right now to make that or take that extra step and becoming that true championship contender. But I think Natchez is in a position right now in their lineup where he's not being used to his full capabilities. He's not on power play one like last year. He's occasionally floating around the top six. And sometimes for some reason, Carolina likes to just throw their stars on the fourth line. And often he's unfortunately in that position like Toivu Taravainen was last year. So I think this is a trade that definitely benefits both sides. Obviously, Nashville has Askarov, a top goalie prospect, coming up. So there's your replacement for Cyrus. And just off the topic, Nashville is so lucky with their goalies, it seems. Every single time they had Pecorine, then all of a sudden comes UC Saros. And now all of a sudden they have Askarov. It's like they're never struggling in nets. But I think this would be an awesome trade for Nashville as well. Because they're finally getting that top right winger. They've been in that that retool in the last year and clearly don't have many offensive stars and not many offensive power players on their prospect list. So adding Nietzsche would be absolutely amazing for them. Um, I think offer sheeting Nietzsche would be absolutely insane. Are you saying they would offer sheet him after he gets traded or... If he were to not get traded. If he were to not get traded. Okay. And the reason the reason I bring it up, Liam, and, and realistically, will it happen? No. 
But the reason I would love to see it happen is for the reasons you just mentioned. I think that he's an incredible player that gets underutilized. And there's been a couple instances of that, whether it's Natchez or whether it's a guy like Jacob Verana, who I think, and, and look, I'm not an NHL GM. I'm far from an NHL GM. I'm a couch GM, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that when you see these players, and maybe it's for good reasons that they're not getting as much playing time as they are, but when you see those guys getting utilized, you got to automatically assume from an outsider perspective, that their value is as low as it's going to be pretty much. I mean, he's proven himself as a 75-point player when he's in that top role. So he's definitely able to do it again, But right? even look at Andre Kuzmenko, right? Yeah. Like, Rick Tockett didn't like his play style. And granted, he was a defensive liability. But a 75-point player in this league is... I know the scoring's gone up, but that's still a rarity. Yeah, it's hard to come by. We haven't seen that for the Canadians since Max Domi put up 72. And other than and that... hopefully this season. And hopefully this season with Nick Suzuki... I would love to see it. Another guy would be Alex Holtz. That's what who's I was not getting say. that that top line or the, the minutes he probably deserves on New Jersey because they're so top heavy on offense. So that's another guy I'd love for the Canadians to go after, considering we have Winnipeg's pick, Calgary's pick, and a lot of assets that aren't going to slot into the roster for the next three, four years. So Ken Hughes also said on the podcast he's not ruling out acquiring a guy in that age range that we've been targeting 22 to 24 and getting a, a guy who's more developed and ready to play in the NHL. So that's definitely a possibility and something I'd love to see. And we'll leave it on this, Liam. If the Canadians somehow go out and acquire Trevor Zegers, which we talked about last episode, which would I, which would be an ideal move. And look, whether it's Zegers, whether it's Nietzsche, whether it's Holtz, whether it's Verona even, and I know these guys are all different caliber players, but the point is that these four guys have skill. They were drafted where they were, where they were, where they were drafted for a reason. Hence the point that they could probably pr be productive in a system like the Canadian system where it caters to young players with a with a very young and aspire a young aspiring coach who's really making his mark on this league. I think it caters very well. So imagine a world Liam and maybe this is just going to make us, you know, you know, make us have sweet dreams or something. But imagine you know, a world where that first line or maybe interchangeable you've got your Slavkovsky, nick suzuki down the middle and cole caulfield on the left i guess and then you've got kirby doc at center trevor zegris on either wing whichever he's more comfortable with and a guy like ivan demidov yeah now obviously that's in a perfect world right but even if you wanted to replace in this case zegris with new hook right like i think that I was talking about this with some people the other day. I think that it's so important that we're seeing this progress, this progression from that first line. Because if this line wasn't progressing how it is so far, I would be concerned. Because in these seasons where there's not much to look forward to, you need these type of players to step up. And the fact that we're, that we're seeing multi-point efforts despite losing games is so, so, so important for the integrity of this team and for the future of this team. So when you get a healthy team and then you couple that with the fact that they have a bunch of first round, a bunch of picks, a bunch of expandable players that you can move for players that are able to slot in right now, you got to think that the future is pretty bright. And I and I know it sounds like, you know, I'm pumping the Habs tires because I'm a fan, but I I feel like it's it's realistic to be this optimistic. It is. It is for sure and we're seeing it all, all this success in terms of point production and not record which is good because we're still at the bottom of the standings we're gonna have a top pick but all these guys on the top line are, are producing even Matt, mike matheson on the point and 
Caden Gooley and Struble are stepping up. Suzuki's on pace for his best season. Going to be probably point per game. Caulfield, considered a slow season or a bad season right now, is pacing for over 25 goals and is just sitting under point per game with like 46 and 53. And obviously spent so much time talking about it. Uri Slavkovsky taking that next step. And even Newhook, who's looked really, really good on that yeah. power play one since he got put on it. And quietly putting up a solid point per game or not point per game, but point pace. I think he's only like maybe 10 points under, under games played. So good step up from him. And it's going to be really exciting to see what Kirby Dak does next season when he comes back. Um, and maybe in March, we're going to see some little glimpses of Lane Hudson and possibly David Reinbacker. Liam, I don't think you need to get me this excited at the end of the pod, <laughs> but Nonetheless, I mean, look, it's definitely exciting. I think we're entering that point where, you know, the trade deadline for the Canadians should be, I won't say quiet, because I think that there's guys that could be moved, but who knows what will actually go down. There were rumors of Jake Allen heading over to Colorado that were quickly shut down by some of the, uh, by some of the analysts. So look, there's going to be some moves. I don't think it's anything to write home about. I think that, you know, personally i'd be very shocked if they went out and got a zegris at the deadline or if they got you know one of those guys that i mentioned before at the deadline because that's just not a deadline deal mm -hmm. um but i think it's i think i think the montreal canadians are really gonna are really gonna check in and you know cash in in the summer because you're gonna have a draft you're gonna have free agency you're gonna have a healthy montreal canadians roster crossing our fingers so we'll leave it at that for now Liam, we are currently Friday, February 16th. Time is absolutely flying by. But the Canadians take on the Washington Capitals at home tomorrow night, followed by a game Wednesday, February 21st against the Buffalo Sabres at home, followed by a game in Pittsburgh against the Penguins on a back-to-back -back on Thursday. We'll leave it at that because the next game is on Saturday. Washington, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, predictions. I'm going to say we take the dub against Washington. We got it last time in Washington. Now we're in Montreal. I think we're going to get it. Bounce back from that rough game against the Rangers. Um, Buffalo, we always seem to struggle against Buffalo. I don't know what it is. And they've kind of been better recently. So I'm going to say we lose to Buffalo. You know, depends who's in nets for Buffalo. If it's Montreal native Devin Levi, I'm going to give Buffalo the win. Um, and then against Pittsburgh, I'm going to say we lose that game. Although we've had some pretty good success against the Pens, I'm going to say we lose that one. So I'll say a 1-2 and two record on the week. I'll leave it up to you. Do you have any uh, any player prediction there? Or do you, are, well, are you still... Give your predictions and sure. then, then we'll do... So Washington, I think that they're going to beat Washington. I, yeah. I don't know. Washington, That's what I said. Okay, Washington's not impressing me right now at all. But I mean, anyway... Buffalo, I think they're going to lose to Buffalo at home. I don't know. Like you said, they kind of have the, that number there. And weirdly enough, I think they're going to beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. A two-in-one week for the Canadians. Probably the one time in a while that the Canadians, in my opinion, are going to go, uh, going to have a positive record. So we'll see how that goes. A few, uh, those are all in-conference games. And that's one, one in-division game. So I'm going two-in-one for the Canadians for this upcoming week. In terms of player predictions, I'm going to move away from our top line since that was my prediction last week. I want you to move away as well. Um, oh, just, I already have mine. Okay, you're ready to go. Um, obviously, I'm happy to see Caden Primo get his first career shutout last week. I don't know 
Hopefully he gets one game. I, I'm not going to put him as my player of the week, but who should I go? Be to? careful. Who should I go? Don't make to? a mad decision. You you just you you're coming off a, a hot prediction here. I am. I can't let them down. So you know what? Since he came back from injury, a little bit of a slower point pace. You I feel like you might have this guy as well. No, okay, no, you don't. All right. I'm giving Alex Newhook player of the week. He's going point per game. Point per game and through three games. I like it. I like it. I think Newhook's played some good some good hockey. And just uh just to further your point there, Liam, 14 points in 27 games this season. So you're looking at over point uh over half a point per game pace, which is kind of where Slav sits. And again, another young forward that you're just hoping to take that you're hoping is gonna take strides year over year over year. So that's like a 50 point pace. Hey. So I we'd love to see that. He's never hit 50 in his career. Absolutely. My prediction has nothing to do with the on ice play. <laughs> this is gonna be great. My prediction, maybe it's bold, maybe it's not. I don't think it's that bold. Jake Allen is traded this week. By the time we next speak, Jake Allen is off this Montreal Canadiens team. Love Jake. Think he's been great for Montreal as a backup, as well as a starter in certain circumstances. But I think it's time to move on. I think talks have heated up. I'm the reporter now. I think that Jake Allen is gone by by Saturday. Saturday, uh, the... Sorry, I'm blanking on the date here. Saturday, the 20. Fourth of February. That's a that's a hot take. So no performer of the week. It's just no performer trade of the week. Of the I, week. I just I just think it's I just think it's Montreal Canadiens prediction of the week. I'm changing it because I decided to change it. So, I but like if it. I had to give a performer, Liam, I'm going with this. This is this is bold. Okay. You know what? I'm going for it. I'm going to take the new hook aspect, mm -hmm. but I'm going to expand it. I'm going to say that expand. the second line air quotes here: Joel Armia, Joshua, and Alex Newhook. Combined for six points in three games. Okay. So two points each on average. Jaden Strubel had 28 penalty minutes in four games last week. So we should have made a prediction. We should have made it. Yeah, we should have made it. Kovacevic had two fights. Standing. Well, you know what? When the Anaheim Ducks are putting out Ross Johnston at the end of the game, when they're ridiculous. down five, nothing. I mean, give me ridiculous. a break. Ridiculous. Absolutely hey. ridiculous. But hey, we'll leave it at that for episode 75 of the Habs Culture Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far. Let us know what you think of our predictions. And again, almost at 3,000 followers on TikTok. Go subscribe, or sorry, go follow. Go hit the follow <laughs> button on TikTok. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you have any suggestions for us, always feel free to let us know. But other than that, guys, thank you so much for listening. Anything from you, Liam? That's about it, guys. You know, show us the love on TikTok. You're gonna, you can enjoy all the little games we play. Rip on us a little bit if we forget somebody. It's always a good time over there. Check it out. Instagram as well. We always post Twitter. We're, we've been pretty active on Twitter too. So little few game updates, stats, maybe some things that you, you didn't know. So follow up on those socials and uh, check them out. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.